0: I was minding my own business about uh, three weeks ago when I got a call from the church office and uh, the principal called me in, no not really, but I got to wondering well what's this all about and it was Jeff on the other end of the line and he said "Uh, would you preach for me in about three weeks I'm going to be gone or be involved in a church uh, elders uh, planning session and it'd be helpful to me if you could preach for me and I said well sure where's Jeff? Back there? You set me up, bro. I, I looked at the passage and uh, um, I should also tell you I had a birthday this last week. I turned 47 years old. Um, oh, excuse me, I have, oh, excuse me, I have dyslexia, 74 years old. Um, And I'm not sure I'm a lot better in this particular virtue than I was then. Hopefully, I've progressed a little bit. But you had me. I looked at the passage, and you told me to preach on patience. I thought, oh, brother, what a bad rap. Uh, Not exactly my long suit. If you don't believe me, ask Mary Ellen. She can fill you in. How many of you here today struggle with impatience? Now, be honest. Raise your hand. Rest of you lying or what? It's a tough one, isn't it? It's, it's really hard. And so as I thought through this and read through the passage, by the way, you can turn in your Bibles to James, James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, as I, as I worked through the passage, I thought to myself, how am I going to preach this one? I, I haven't arrived yet in this area. And the Lord reminded me of something that I heard years ago, and that is that you don't always lead from the front. Sometimes you lead from the middle. In fact, I, I heard a preacher once say that the leader who gets too far out in front of the troops so that they can't even find him, they don't even know where he's going, often becomes a martyr. Sometimes you have to lead from the middle. Sometimes you have to lead with the troops. Sometimes you have to identify with the troops, with what they're going through, and so that they understand that you understand what it is that they're struggling with. And so I don't, I don't preach to you today as an expert in patience. Far from it. But I can tell you that God's word is still true and that even I, at 74 years old, am learning more about patience and what it means to be a patient person. I want to talk to you this morning about opportunities to demonstrate patience. Let's look at the text. The text is found in James chapter 5, and I'd like to read to you verses 7 through 8. Be patient in waiting. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its crops, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord is near. Patience waits. Patience waits. Traffic bottlenecks. Your spouse, your children, trains in Elk River. Patience waits. Patience waits in line. You've had the experience at Menards or at the grocery store or wherever where you see the shortest line and discover that it's the longest line you've ever been in in your life. Patience waits. Waiting is a part of God's agenda for your life. Sometimes I discover, have discovered, that we have to wait for the Lord. Patience waits. Repeatedly in the Bible, we read the words, wait on the Lord. Not my favorite word. As far as I'm concerned, wait is a dirty four-letter word. Wait. Wait. James gives us the example of a farmer who has learned to wait. The farmer plants the seed, he does what he can to hoe and to fertilize, and then he just simply has to wait. It was rough being a farmer back in those days, they didn't have pivot irrigation systems. They didn't have all kinds of things that could do automatically for them. They just had to wait. There were things that the farmer could do. I've grown up preaching in farm agricultural areas. In one of the churches I pastored, 44% of the people were involved in the agricultural business. In a church about the same size as this. Waiting. The farmer does his part and then he waits for God to do his part. There's a couple of things with regard to this waiting. First of all, it's an active dependence. The farmer doesn't just sit on a chair at the end of a row of corn, or what's to be corn, or soybeans, and wait for it to grow up. No, there's other things he has to do, and he does have to tend the crop, but he has to wait. It's sort of an active waiting not only that but this kind of waiting involves strength look at what it says you too be patient and stand firm because the lord's coming is near be be patient as you wait but in the process be strong patience requires a lot more strength than impatience does Patient patient waiting is not a default mechanism that we have. In fact, patience and waiting are are not the kind of words that we like to hear in American culture. We're used to things like fast and instant and hurry and megabytes and nanoseconds. But as you'll see on the slide god is never in a hurry the temptation is to try to hurry god up try to help him out god told abraham that he would have a son a magnificent son Through whom there would be generations that would come and populate the earth, and that eventually through that line the Messiah Messiah would come. Abraham waited, but he also got impatient and devised a plan of his own. And the result of that plan of his own with his handmaid Hagar was Ishmael. And we still in this world today, in the Near East, the Mideast, have problems with the descendants of Isaac and Ishmael. Patience. Have you ever thought about the fact that Moses had to wait 80 years before he became the leader of Israel? And take this one and digest it just a little bit. Have you thought about the fact that Jesus was 30 years old before he started his public ministry? We know absolutely nothing about Jesus between the ages of 12 and 30 other than at 12, he met with the leaders in the temple and they were astonished at his wisdom. But the Bible goes on to say that he grew in wisdom and knowledge and favor with God and with men. Wait patiently. Patiently wait. Secondly, be patient with other people. Let me read to you from the text again, from verse 9. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. This sounds like the fights and the quarrels that James talked about at the beginning of chapter 4. Here he uses the word grumble. Don't grumble. Patience with other people. Don't complain, don't moan, don't groan, don't whine, don't mutter, don't murmur. Would you say that word with me? Murmur. Say it again. Murmur. And the English language, that's what we would call an onomatopoeia. (laughs) You ever heard of that word before? An onomatopoeia is a word that just kind of sounds like what it really is, murmur murmur, grumbling. It reminds us of the Israelites in the wilderness who murmured about the manna, who murmured about the fact that they couldn't go back to Egypt where they had leeks and onions, who murmured against their leaders. Murmuring is something that causes deep divisiveness and division in the church. Sometimes murmuring takes the form of gossip. Gossip can also be called triangling. A certain person hurts me. He's person A, I'm person B. And instead of going to person A to get it straightened out, I kind of let it brew in my belly, and I get ticked off, and I decide that instead of going to A, I'm going to go to C. And I'm going to tell my other friend, the problems, and what A has done to me. That's a form of grumbling, complaining. Sometimes it goes along this way. Sometimes, sometimes I say something to somebody else, or somebody else, let me get it straightened out. Sometimes somebody comes to me, and they have had somebody else crab at them. And I'm just i I'm just see, I'm just kind of an innocent bystander. And I, I say to them, what should I say to them? I should say to them, well, have you, have you talked to that person about it? A- and sometimes they'll say, well, n- no, I haven't. Well, I say to them, you know, the first thing that you ought to do is go and Discuss it with them and see if you can work it out with them. If you can't work it out, the two of you, maybe the two of you together should go to somebody, like the pastor or an elder or somebody in the church that can help you work that out. But don't don't just tell it to me unless you've tried to work it out with them. Grumbling, murmuring. When we were in our very first church, we had a group of... Uh, Young kids, third, fourth, fifth graders, about the same number of kids that were in front there. And We used to do some stuff, Mary Ellen and I, with them. And in the process, we learned a song about grumblers. Oh, they grumble on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, grumble on Thursday, too, grumble on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, grumble the whole week through. Oh, they... And we would go, grumble on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday too. Don't hang around grumblers. Um, I, I've thought about whether I should say this or not. I think I'm going to say it. You have a new pastor? We have a new pastor? Right now things are great. How many of you would agree? Fabulous, fabulous. Can I, can I let you in on a little secret? Jeff isn't Jesus. We tend to expect more from our leaders than we do from anybody else sometimes, but we're all human and we all fall into some of the same traps. And if you have something that you need to say to Jeff, sit down and talk to Jeff about it. I've already talked to Jeff about some some things. Not that I had against him. But I've discovered that he's the most open and receptive and teachable and understanding guy that I ever want to talk to. Support your leaders. Don't be a grumbler. Patience happens when you think more about the other person than you do about yourself. Be patient with your spouse. Be patient with your children. Be patient with your parents. Be patient with your boss. Be patient with your neighbors. Be patient with your employees. Be patient with other church people. Be patient. Don't grumble. I was uh, just thinking about this the other day and thought about that passage in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where Paul uh, shares what love is all about. And I was really impressed. I've read this many, many times, but I was so impressed when I got to verse 4. And he starts listing the things that accompany love. And the first thing he says about love is that love is patient. Love is kind. And I thought to myself, you know what? those two things go together. If you're patient, you're kind. And if you're kind, you're patient. May I give you a personal testimony? Um, there have been times in the past when I have nagged Mary Ellen um, been times when I've not been as understanding as I should have been. Been times when I've been harsh. Been times when I have replicated the behavior of another person in my family that I grew up in uh, who was stern. And uh, we've had some long, long talks about that. And several months ago Mary Ellen pointed to her just reminded me of the fruit of the Spirit that's in Galatians chapter 5 or 6 where the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, etc, etc. And she said, why don't you think about that? And so for the next several weeks, I I looked at a little plate that is in our dining room that has on it all of those fruits around the edge of the plate. And gradually, God's been doing a work in my heart and just this week, I didn't prompt her to do this. I didn't set her up to do this so that I could be able to tell this story. I didn't even think about doing that. But um, just this last week, we were kind of holding each other in each other's arms. I I like to go up to Mary Ellen sometimes and just just put my arms around her and just just hug her. And it, it, it can last for... It can last for thirty seconds. It can last for two minutes, three minutes. Just, just hugging each other. And she looked at me with tears in her eyes, and she said to me, "You've, you've changed. You've, you've changed." There are some attributes, there are some things about the Christian life that just take a long time. Some things you just don't get when you're 47 but you start to get when you're 74. We don't have to wait that long but oftentimes we do. In this passage, James once again addresses our speech in the context of patience. And essentially, what he says is, brothers and sisters, what you say, how you say it, when you say it, and to whom you say it really matters. The Bible put it this way, Remember, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Meaning, death in terms of destruction, life in terms of redemptive behavior. Destruction and redemption are in the power of the tongue. I like the way one writer put it. You'll see it on the screen. He said, Be sure to taste your words before you spit them out. Think before you speak. Number three, be patient in suffering. Verses 10 and 11. Brothers and sisters, an example of patience. In the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard Job's of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Notice in that verse the word patience in the first line. And then down a little bit further, the word persevere. Persevered and perseverance, used twice in this passage. Perseverance is patience stretched out. Patience stretched out. He gives us two examples of this. First of all, the prophets. And of the prophets, he says that they were patient in the face of suffering. Think of jeremiah who was thrown into a cistern think of daniel who was thrown into a lion's den think of john the baptist who was beheaded think of jesus who was crucified patience in the face of suffering mary ellen and i on a regular basis, almost every day, pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are suffering persecution, and many of them facing martyrdom. Moms and dads who are killed in front of the eyes of their little children, the reverse of that, children killed, martyred in the face of their parents. We pray every day that God would give them strength, that if possible, he would rescue them from such a dreadful experience. But there's a lot of people around the world who name the name of Christ and stand up for that name to the place that they're willing to die for it. Patience, perseverance. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about that kind of patience and perseverance, in verses thirty-three through thirty-five, it says, "Sometimes you've publicly exposed to ins- sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions." So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Example one, the prophets. Example two is Job. We've all heard of the patience of Job. Job who lost his family, who lost his children, who lost his health, who lost his riches, who lost just about everything. And then his wife says to him, why don't you just curse God and die? said Job perseveres. Early Christian tradition, early Jewish tradition, suggests that Job suffered a long time. You read about it in his book. And it's not because he was a bad man. It's not because he did something wrong. In fact, the start of the book of Job has God saying that Job was a man that was upright and blameless, that he feared God and hated evil. He was a good man. But he was subjected to all kinds of trials. Listen to his his own words in Job 23 where he says, even today my complaint is bitter. His hand, God's hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him. He goes on and on and then he says, but if I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I don't find him. When he is at work in the north, I don't see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. This is the precious line. But he knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. There are some preachers, there are some theologians, there are some who think that suffering is a result of disobedience to God. Sometimes it is, but not always. It's, it's not always because we've done something wrong. There are many times, as in the case of Job, when we suffer just for the sake of God's glory, when we suffer for, for, for our own spiritual growth. Suffering is a catalyst for personal change and spiritual growth. Romans 5 verse 3 says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces Perseverance. A writer by the name of D.R. McConnell put it this way. As followers of Christ, we often suffer not because we are out of God's will, but because we are in it. Not because we lack faith, but because we have faith. We suffer not because we need to be filled with the Spirit, but because we're already filled with the Spirit. Stronger faith does not mean less suffering, but more suffering means stronger faith. Far from calling our faith into question, our afflictions result in our becoming more and more like Christ himself. Paul wrote to his apprentice, Timothy, these words. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Suffering is a necessary part of our discipline as a Christian. You and I are all, all of us, more than willing to to bless those who are going through great suffering. Oh, God, God bless you as you go through this suffering. As long as we're not the ones that have to go through it. But many of you can tell stories of how you went through suffering and it became an agent, a necessary ingredient for your spiritual growth. Patience refuses to quit. And lastly, trust the Lord completely. I picked not just one verse, but all of the verses for this particular point. Trust the Lord completely. Look at these verses, portions of them that are up on the screen. Cultivate an eternal perspective Look what it says in verse 7. Be patient until the Lord's coming. Verse 8, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Verse 9, the judge is standing at the door. That's when we have to be patient for those who have harmed us and we can't seem to resolve. You can forgive, but that doesn't mean you're going to have perfect resolution with those who have hurt you. Sometimes, sometimes you go to grave with, Go to your grave without getting everything settled that people have done wrong to you. It's just life. But you leave the hand. You leave those kinds of things in the hand of the Lord. You don't try to settle all the fights. You don't try to have the fighting upper hand. Sometimes you just have to rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Amen? He'll take care of it. In verse 11 it says, you've heard and seen what the Lord finally brought about in the life of Job. Job, God returned to Job more than he ever had before. Blessed him richly. And also in verse 11, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Look at your troubles in the light of God's promises. He's coming again. Hurt. Hurt. And suffering will vanish. Death will be swallowed up in eternal life. Injustice will be tried and settled. The judge is at the door. And the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Look at your troubles in the light of God's promises. He's coming again. In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what's seen, but on what is unseen since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So how can I become a more patient person? How can I be patient with people? How can I be patient with circumstances? How can I be patient with the fact that sometimes God seems so slow in answering my prayers? How can I do that? I'd like you to take out the half sheet that you were handed in the bulletin as you came in this morning, and I'd like to just talk through this with you. I'd like to suggest a way in which you can can help yourself in this area. Now, I want you to do something kind of brave, all right? So, how many of you raised your hands at the beginning of the surface Or maybe as you've been listening, you've decided that you're not such a patient person after all. If you struggle with impatience, I'm not going to call you up front, not going to embarrass you in any way. But if you struggle with impatience, I'm going to be the first to stand up right here. Will you stand with me? All right, I'd like you to look around. Look around. Grab a, grab a face. I don't mean grab a face. <laughs> okay, you can sit back down. Now, will all the liars please stand up? No, no, I don't mean that. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't mean to say that. Oh, yes, you did. I <laughs> uh, no. us, Some of us have trouble with certain things that others just don't have trouble with. Here's what I want you to do. The first thing you have to do is admit that you're impatient. Admit it to God. Admit it to yourself. I have a struggle with impatience. All of you who stood up, I want you to say that with me. I have a struggle with impatience. Second thing I want you to do after the service today, I think it would be great. Al, would you come up here for just a second? Were you one of the people standing? Yes. Oh, well, good, that works, that makes it, that makes it even better. After the service, I think it would be a great thing for you to do this. Um, take a look at uh, somebody that you looked at just as we stood before and go up to them out in the lobby and say to them, you may know their name, you may not know their name, but you say to them, Al, I, I struggle with impatience. How about you? Sure. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if You'd pray for me about it, and I could pray for you. We don't have to pray long prayers, but could we just right now, just in a one-sentence prayer, you pray for me. My name's Phil, and you're Al, and I'll pray for you. Okay. Do that. Would you pray for me, and then I'll pray for you? Lord, we just pray that your grace would be sufficient for Phil. In any times of impatience, he would trust you, that you are there with him. You care for him. You never forsake him. Amen. And Lord, I pray for Al. I pray that you'd uh, give him patience. I pray that you would help him to understand that some of these trivial things that we get so worked up about are not, uh, not that big a deal. And that you're with us and that you can help him. I pray for Al in that way, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, Thank you. Could we check up with each other next week or something? Because the third thing I'd like you to do is take that half sheet home. And uh, every day for the next two weeks, read through the verses that are on that sheet. This is as practical as you could get. Start reading with me, okay? Let's start with Exodus chapter 14, verse 14. Read that along with me. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Let's look down at Psalm 37, verses 6 through 8. Will you read that with me? He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. There's, I think, 15 or 16 verses like that. Read them every day. And then throughout the next couple weeks, maybe next Sunday, or maybe you might even want to get the phone number of the person you're talking to this morning. Give them a call during this week. And just say, hey, Al, I'm, I'm praying for you. Thanks for being honest. Let's grow together in this area. Father, thank you for reminding us in your word That love is patient. Love is kind. Bless these people, I pray, especially for those who have a struggle in this area and that you would help them to to just work with uh, their partner, with uh, another gal or guy that is facing the same struggle and I pray that you would help us to grow in this area and that we would uh, be more and more like you in the process. And all God's people said, Amen.